You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I, I would like this morning, uh, get Jackie's attention here in a second. I would like to take an offering this morning for the uh, for camp. That's going to take uh, about three thousand dollars to get the kids to camp, and I'm just going to ask this year that instead of having the kids pay it and try to get that rounded up, that the church just give it. So we're going to take up another offering here in just a minute and let you have an opportunity to do that. Uh, if you if you don't want to give, it's okay. I'll call you. I don't mind. I'll, I'll send you a text. It'll all work out. <laughs> we'll, uh, but this is such a good opportunity for the kids to, uh, to go. This is a camp. If you, if you don't know, it's, when, I was, when I was going to camp in Florida, we were one of many churches, and the curriculum was determined by somebody else, and the activities were determined by somebody else. Well, this camp that we go to, is, we, it's just one church at a time. So our kids aren't competing with others. There's not a, it's not a, a strange mix, but a, a very dynamic opportunity for our kids to hear this message just in an environment that's a little bit different. So we encourage, we encourage this camp every summer. Uh, Deb does a good job of getting everyone ready and, and there. Uh, are all the positions filled yet? Or we still have the two? Okay, still have two girl spots if you know somebody that would like to go, but... Uh, uh, we'll take up that offering as soon as I find Mr. Hill. I mean, yeah, I mean, would you help us take up a second offering, please? And if you don't have the money for this, just find something to write your name on. Don't write somebody else's name on it. That doesn't work very well. But if you'll just write an amount, put your phone number on there, and we'll, uh, we'll take up an offering right quick for, uh, for camp. And uh, we'll do that this morning because next week we'll be taking up another special offering. But, okay, guys, just go ahead and... And, and do it if you would. <clears throat> you can also give it at, at the back when, when you get ready to leave. Uh, just make sure it gets to one of these two guys and we'll, uh, we'll gather all that up. Also, next, uh, next Sunday on July the 14th, there'll be a meal provided by the Pineda family uh, back in the Fellowship Hall right after church. We will, however, be taking up the offering in here. You can certainly give when you get back there if you'd like, but we're going to be taking up the offering to support the mission's uh, work in Mexico next, next Sunday morning. <clears throat> also, Levi and Mackenzie's baby shower is coming up on the 20th, I believe is the date of that. Uh, the home is right next to where Chris and Karen live. Uh, but all the address and everything has been provided there at the bottom of the, the bottom of the slide. And the last thing I would mention is that uh, the healing study continues on Sunday night. It's going uh, it's going very well. I'm, last week I'm, uh, I made 25 copies and we we ran out and I was kind of amazed. But uh, we have a, a significant number of people driving from Lubbock uh, for that study, and it's just been a just been a very good study on healing and how God affects that healing. Any other announcements? All right, Children's Church.
when I get through preaching this morning, y'all are going to be really embarrassed that y'all don't run like that. <clears throat> I heard a question asked this past week, this, and this is what it was. Are you as happy as the gospel deserves? I thought it was a pretty interesting question. Are you as happy as the gospel deserves? I mean, when you start reading, the gospel is full of good news. I mean, we're talking about powerful moments, powerful statements, powerful promises that we are being made in the, in the message of Jesus Christ. And the question is, does your life reflect the happiness that that gospel speaks of and deserves? Let's pray together. Father, again, we just come to you and thank you for this morning. There's an unusual spirit in the sanctuary this morning. It's a good one. It's you, Father. It, I can tell you're coming with a calm this morning. You're coming with a peace. You're coming with comfort and you're coming with healing this morning. It just, it, it, I, can, I can breathe it in. I can taste what you're doing. Uh, the, the last song that we, we were singing together, Father, singing to you, what a powerful message there is in that song. There's power. And just the reality, Father, that because you gave your life to us when we became believers and put our faith and trust in you, that you gave us your life, that that is resurrection life, that that's life that has already conquered death. That is life that has already conquered fear. That is life that has already conquered doubt. It's conquered division. So we thank you, Father, that through in our veins is pulsing this resurrection life. And that if, if we don't understand that, we will in some ways be living less than what you intended. Trapped in other things. Trapped in thoughts. Trapped in brokenness. Trapped in hurt. But your spirit, your power has come to overcome. There is no power that can stand when I stand recognizing that you, the creator, loved me. You love me. Thank you, Father, for the reality of those words, the beautiful nature of the song itself, the music and what it speaks to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have just assured us that you're here. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone has carried something in this morning that is just hurting them, that they will leave without it. If, there's, if they're broken, they will leave whole. If they're, if they're lame, they will leave walking. If they're sick, they will leave healed. Thank you, Father, for the assurance and the, and the faith that you give us. It's not even our faith. You're kind enough to give us faith so that we can use it. Thank you, Father, to speak this morning the way you want to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe that God is up to something? Do you believe that God is up to something big? Do you believe that God is up to something good? Do you believe that what he is up to by his design and purpose includes you? If so, does your life demonstrate that belief by the amount of excitement that is inevitable based on what he is doing? 
What's the excitement factor in your life? If I was reading the excitement gauge in your life, what would it read? That's a fair question. If he's up to something big, and I'm included in whatever he's doing, there should be an inevitable excitement that comes with that. Think so? We ought to be the most excited people in the world. I don't every day feel like I get to be a part of something big, but when I get to be, understand what he's doing, I know that every day of my life is an anticipation of getting to discover what he's placed in this day. So we wake with excitement. I've discovered over the past few years that the more I'm excited about what I see God doing, the more I find to be excited about. How about you? The more that I'm excited as I see what God is doing, the more I find to be excited about. But you know, the, the, the other is true as well. Those who seem to be bored with, with what God's doing seem to find lots of reasons to be bored. I think I, I, think I will just choose. Because, I, you know, I get to read some of this stuff that he's up to. If I didn't get to receive anything else, I would know out here that someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I, I could get excited if that's all I knew. Because that new heaven and that new earth, there's going to be no sickness there. There's going to be no death there. There's, no, there's going to be no tears there. There's going to be no brokenness there. I can get excited about that. But I can also get excited knowing that when, when I was saved, old things passed away. All things became new. Part of that new of that new kingdom exists in me right now. That's worth getting excited about. Luke, excited? I can tell it's excitement is written on your face. You want to look at excitement, just look right back there. His name's Luke. So once again, if he's up to something big, and what he's up to by its design and purpose includes you then we get, to, we get to know by revelation what he's up to. Here it is. Jesus is establishing a kingdom. Now, I'm not talking about someday. Because John the Baptist in, in Matthew chapter 3, when we first hear these first words out of John the Baptist, really before he says anything else, he says, repent. Change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here it is. He understood something. There was someone coming, and the kingdom promised that Jesus will someday, by his hands, he will take this kingdom, and he's going to hand it to the Father. I get to read that. He's going to take this kingdom, hand it to the Father, but by the grace of God, the Father has given that kingdom by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to us today. That kingdom is already here. I wake up each day as a kingdom citizen. Now we've heard this taught 
The illustration, if you're, if you're in England, you're subject to all the English rules. You drive here and you do this and because that's the law of the land until you go through a gate and you're, you step into a different sovereign soil because there's a different banner flying. There's the United States flag flying over that, over that embassy. And strangely, in that very small spot inside, inside of England, the laws of the United States exist. I have to live in this world. But I am, I am stepping into a, onto a different sovereign soil under a different banner. And the laws of heaven apply now. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's the nature of this new kingdom. We're under a different sovereign. There's a different banner that flies over where we stand. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the middle of this world, but I've got a king. We don't know much about kings in this, in this part of the world. But I have a king, and he's sovereign. And, and that king knows my name, and he loves me. And I think I should at least be able in some moderation to get excitement about the fact that a king, the king of glory, knows my name and he loves me. I can get excited about that. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Verse 11. Jesus has been dealing with Zacchaeus in the previous verses here. He comes to verse 11 and he says, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. So we recognize he's about, within about 30 days of the crucifixion, he's on his way to Jerusalem for that purpose. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. In this parable, Jesus is revealing to us that he is soon to go away, but that when he returns, he will return with his kingdom in hand. The building of the kingdom has started. But for him to come back and reign as king is a day yet promised. The next verse, however, should create in us a peculiar and inevitable excitement. Verse 13, and he called his 10 servants. A lot of symbolism in that 10 being, being the number of all included. And delivered them 10 pounds. So he gave them everything he had and said unto them, occupy till I come. So what is his gift to us? What is, what's the equivalent of the pound in this parable? What did he give you? What did he give me? to equip me to occupy. He gave me one thing. Yeah, I only needed one. He gave me himself. By his spirit, he equipped me. There is not a single situation that by his spirit that I am not prepared to take or to occupy. That word occupy in, in the scripture uh, is, means to carry on the business of a banker or a trader. For many years, I've heard it explained to mean to gain by trading. So he's saying, I want you to take this pound. I want you to take the provision that I've given you and I want you to meet the world and I want you to trade them something. 
I want you to trade their brokenness for the hope I give you. I want you to take their loneliness for the company that I will provide because I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I want you to take their desperation and I want, to, I want you to trade it for that assurance that's found within the Spirit of God. Simple instructions. I want you to gain by trading. He has fully engaged us in this opportunity of kingdom building. We are fully invited, fully engaged, and now we know we are fully prepared by the Spirit He's placed in us to be the building, the builders of a kingdom waiting on the day when the King returns. I watch a lot of folks go to work. I don't find many who are excited about what they're doing. That's unfortunate. The motivation for many is it's just a necessity of life. It's okay, though. We all, we all did it. But when we begin to understand that what I put my hand to and the Spirit of God indwells that hand and I shake someone's hand or I touch someone's shoulder, or I hold their hand when I pray for them. I'm not praying, I'm building a kingdom. When I embrace someone with the kindness of God, it's not an embrace, it's kingdom building. And if we know it, in the simplicity of what it takes to build a kingdom, then we, we should be able to wake each day in the anticipation of what he's gonna do through us and end the day in gratitude for what he has done. So we not only should be the most excited, we should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Where has our happiness gone? I can tell you, it's not hard to discover because when we continue in the passage, here is the sad dynamic, the sad dynamic of this unfortunate reality. Many, by the trajectory of their lives are destined to miss the joy of building the kingdom unless their lives are drastically changed. The scripture gives us a very, very wide variation in how people will respond to this offer. How many people will respond to this invitation? I'm not going to go here, but I was reading this this morning in Matthew chapter 22. I'm, again, I'm not going to go there and read the scripture. But in the verses 16 through 24, Jesus has just told them in verse 15, he says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Happy is anyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And then he comes back and he speaks of a banquet that a person is prepared and he sends out invitations to come and dine on what the Father, what the Master has prepared. An invitation to come to what the Father, what God has designed. And the first comes back and says, well, I have bought, I have bought a piece of ground and I have to go. The second one says, I have bought five oxen and I have to go test them. And one said, I've 
married a woman. I'm not sure why the marrying the woman would keep you from coming to the banquet, but any excuse in that situation, I guess, is as good as the other. Because it said they all consented to an excuse. So we recognize today that this invitation to be kingdom builders is being met with thousands and thousands of different responses. Some might have bought land, some might have bought oxen, some might have married a woman. But the outcome at the end of that verse, in verse 24, the master says, none of those invited shall taste of this supper. A lot of teaching that needs to go along with that. Some will miss it because they truly don't care what God is up to. That's just a reality. There are many. I'm not talking about loss. I'm talking about there are many believers who really just don't care what God is up to. Kind of in their own life, in their own world, in their own projects, in their own activities, in their own family, they really just don't care much about what God is up to. There are many who are angry or frustrated at God for some expectation not met. And if God didn't come through, what's the point? If he's not any better God than that, what difference should he make? And, there, and, and that trajectory of their life will cause them to miss the building of a kingdom. The people that are on my heart are the people whose trajectory has been taken off track by Satan's deception. There's so many of those. So many. We know it around here. We talk about it often. It's not anything new. How does he do it? I shared on Wednesday night, and this is one of those new things that the Holy Spirit has really shown me. Not so, it wasn't something new. It was just confirming. How does Satan create permanence attached to some former hurt? We all got hurt. None of us got to escape childhood without some moment when somebody's words or somebody's actions or some situation in a classroom or at home, we, don't, we didn't get to dodge those, all those bullets, I, I don't think. We all experience things happening to us. But how does Satan create permanence to that hurt? He gives it an identity. He attaches an identity to it. How, do, why, how does he know that? Because he also knows that the way God sustains me through the things of life is by the identity that he gave me. How did he create permanence in my story? Because there's going to be many chapters in this story. There's going to be many roles that I play. There's going to be many aspects attached to this story that he's written about me. But the permanent thing is that he never changes and the identity that he gave me never changes. He knows how to attach permanence to the goodness of God. Satan sees that and says, I know how to create permanence in the hurt. I'll just change their identity. I'll get them to believe something about themselves that's not true. And that, when, when we receive that false identity, the trajectory of our life changes sharply. And that deception will cause us to miss the building of a kingdom because we will be wrapped up in that hurt. It's permanent now because it's fixed to an identity that keeps producing broken 
and hurting fruit. It will create a tremendous amount of guilt. It will create shame. It will, it will create blame. It will create regret. It takes us off track. And that's why when I hear those words, I tell people, lay them down. Lay them down right now because you want, you want this trajectory to change. Lay that stuff down. God's not doing it. He will show you. He will correct you with truth, but he won't use those tools against you. You're his child. He loves you. Lay them down and let him begin to correct this trajectory because we've got a lot of kingdom building to do. I love the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's name means the comforter. So what we get to watch in the book of Nehemiah is how God actually builds how he builds us up, kingdom pieces, how he builds us. I love it when he says, he's talking about they have, they've built the gates now, but they're busy now rebuilding the walls. And they started at the gates. And so next to the gates, the walls are taller. And in the middle, they're low. And Nehemiah tells the people that are there working, the families that are there working, they're already holding a weapon in one hand and working with the other. And he says, I want you to sleep behind the tall parts and I'll stand in the gap in the low parts. I'll protect the places where your mind is weak, where your heart is struggling. I'll, I'll protect those places for you. While we build, I'll, I'll take care of it. I want to tell you this morning that Satan has done a, a remarkable job of creating permanence and hurt in the trajectory, and we wonder where these kingdom builders are. Where are the people who need to be at our right and our left helping build, build this kingdom? Because he equipped us all the same. When Jesus was the only one who had the Spirit indwelling him, he says, I got to go away. This story's got to change. And if I go away and deal with your sin, then I, then I can send my spirit to indwell you just like my spirit, the spirit indwells me. Because he says, then there won't be one Jesus, there will be millions of me. Kingdom builders, all equipped like Jesus was equipped, ready with truth, ready with love, ready with wisdom, ready with power, ready with resurrection, ready with salvation. There'll be millions of me. Anyone who will in, let my spirit indwell them will be capable of everything I'm capable of. The kingdom today already exists and we are present in it as believers. But recognizing that in this passage in Luke 19, it is to believers, I want us to look at the variation in responses found within that verse. Go back with me to Luke chapter 19 beginning with verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Realize that message is still in place today. Who, according to this scripture, is his citizens? It's Israel, it's Jews. And unless they're a Messianic Jew, they still live under this determination. We will not have this man reign over us. They're still waiting, still believing someone's coming. 
Verse 15, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. There was, there was reciprocity in what he had done. You've done well, and here's the result of your doing well. So we find here the, believers that, the believer that was ready, prepared, anticipating, and excited about his or her part in the building of a kingdom. There is a specific outcome for us, for you who are ready, excited, prepared, anticipating each day the building of a kingdom by your hands, by your voice, by where your feet go, by what your heart loves. There's a result to that, and he's making it very clear. Verse 18 and 19, and the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. In proportion, this believer likewise was ready and received the pound in instruction and went about the king's purpose. So he too was proportionally rewarded for his readiness, his eagerness, his preparation to be a kingdom builder to be about the king's business. And then we come to the third one in verse 20. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, reap what you didn't sow. And he said to him, out of thine own mouth will I judge you, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that in my coming I might have required mine own with interest. You see, there are very specific responses to this invitation to gain by trading, to, to build the kingdom, to occupy until he comes back. Very specific outcomes. We read about this also in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9, and 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 16. The same moment when you and I will stand at the judgment seat and give an account for what we've done in this body, whether it be good or bad. You see, this invitation that we're accepting or rejecting, ignoring or excited about, there is an outcome to that according to the Scripture. We don't talk about this much. It's not talked about much. There's an outcome to this. Now, this isn't the call to urgency. It's not the call to activity. It's simply the call to let God be God in you, to let the Spirit be released in you so that the kingdom gets built, not because you're working harder at it, but because you let Him loose. You just let Him go. I tell people all the time when, when we start discovering true identities that the, that the fruit of that identity can never be a verb. It's not something you go do. The fruit's always a noun. We don't say about an apple tree, look at that, look at that apple tree, it's so busy appling. No, just sitting out there producing an apple. <clears throat> I... I I've shared this before, and I don't like to embarrass people, but sometimes it's just necessary. <laughs> Andrew, you're the victim today. Up until last week, the record from someone entering my office to deliverance was 15 minutes. 
Andrew broke that record. I met with him on Monday. I was talking to him about deliverance, and he, there was a moment in there he stopped me. He said, let me tell you what happened to me last Tuesday. He was delivered before we ever met. It was so strange to be telling him about false identity. He said, let, let me tell you what happened. Let me t- I was telling him about the lie that comes with, with the false identity. And he, and he you fill it in. He Even, I'm pretty certain we already know what his true identity is. All happened at one time. I sat with a guy on Friday. And uh, we're, we're talking and he said, I wonder what my true identity is. He hasn't been delivered yet, but he's very curious. He said, I need to know. I want to know desperately what my true identity is. So we talked for just a minute. He says, what's what's a pillar? And I said, what do you mean, what's a pillar? He said, what's a pillar? What what are you talking about? So I said, "It's, it's that which stands straight, tall holds up, supports everything. I said, why? He said, for, he said, 18 months ago, I heard you speak at a Bible study. And he said, almost everything I see, questions I've written about this pillar. I said, I don't even have a doubt. Why do you want to know so badly? I want to know who I am. I said, well, you've been writing it for 18 months. He said, well, what's the fruit? I said, that pillar is the stability of everything else. And if, I, if, if you knew his story, because he's, he's sitting there saying, wow, wow, wow. Just all the stuff that has happened in his life and all of a sudden this, this trajectory that had him off because of this false identity that he's been carrying since childhood. And you watch that being laid down and he's discovering that true identity and that trajectory is going, getting right in line with the kingdom. Man, it is, I have more fun. I have more fun each week than anybody deserves to have. First of all, I get to be married to Jan. Now that... And with three kids and grandkids, the youngest of which is right over here. But this is exciting. These are exciting moments. It's an exciting time. I don't do this because I know there's a day coming, but there's a day coming. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 16 talks about about the building, whether it be of gold, silver, precious stones, and, or wood, hay, or stubble, there'll be a day when that's going to be tried by fire. We have to have an awareness that our, that our, our response to the invitation is going to have a, a determination at some point. It doesn't mean you're lost, but it does mean that there's a, that there's a reality to, being, to be able to say that I have laid down those things that have kept me away, the obstacles that have kept me away from the building of a kingdom, the business, busyness of everything else, so that I can discover each day that which God has established so that I can say, 
and hear those words that, that the king spoke to the one who brought back the 10 pounds. You've done well. Do you long to hear it? I don't think there's anything in my life that I, that I anticipate more than hearing those words. I already know he loves me. I already know his heart toward me. I know the provision he's given me. But I look forward to that moment when it's my turn. I don't want to dread that moment. I don't want to believe for a second that I have said no to the invitation. He's invited us in. I can show you this in scripture after scripture and story after story. This, on and on this goes. Matthew chapter six, I'm gonna be very brief in concluding this. Verse 28, this is in, this is in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. He's not absent from your story. Verse 33, very clarifying, but seek ye first that kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take there no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. To those sitting here that I mentioned earlier who will miss it because you just really don't care what God is up to, I would like to assure you that God has a loving way to remind you that it does matter and that He is King. He's gentle in it, loving in it, but earnest and diligent in it because he will deliver the message to you. He will make sure that you have this opportunity to hear the invitation because there is a consequence and he won't be negligent in his invitation. He will make sure you know that you have been invited. He will reassure you. To those who are angry or frustrated or disappointed in God for some expectation not met, God has prepared a transforming moment for you as well. Jan and I were listening to a, a Christian comedian or teacher yesterday, and he was talking about the story in Acts chapter 3 when Paul and Peter, two guys, <laughs> entered the temple. Peter and John entered the temple. And there's a man begging for money there. You think he might have been disappointed when, when Peter said, gold and silver have I none? Because what was his expectation? He was expecting money. 
Peter said, gold and silver have I none, but that which I have I give you freely. Rise up and walk. And they caught him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. You see, God had a moment of transformation ready. Something bigger than what his expectations were. So sometimes our disappointment is because we had a predetermined expectation when God has a moment of transformation ready for you. I don't know how many of you would fall in this category, but there are many here who have experienced in their life extremely broken moments. To go through for me those months, weeks, and a few months of depression. One of the darkest days and times of my life. But if you asked me today, would I go back and erase it? The answer would be no. I've got to leave it there. Because he had something planned for me on the other side of it. That would have been difficult for me to discover something I needed to step into had there not been this moment. And my suspicion is many of you are living in in dynamically better moments even though you had to walk through some extreme disappointment and brokenness to get there. But now to discover that what God has, what He already knew, is so dynamically better. If I asked you, would you go back and get rid of that out of your life? The answer would be no, I guess I need to keep it. I need for it to be there. Because God had something transforming in store, even when we couldn't see it. But to this last group, to those who will miss the reality of this present kingdom because Satan has taken you off track, I will tell you that today can be your day of liberation. There is not a single reason to live another day under Satan's lie. No reason. No reason to believe about yourself something that Satan is, is the, that originated in him rather than originated in the Father. If you have that, if you're carrying that, this can be your day of liberation. If you don't see yourself in the fullness of who God sees, then Satan has had a, some ability to take you off track into a trajectory that will cause us to miss the building of a kingdom, this present kingdom. This can be your day of liberation. You don't need to wait another day. It's so strange for us to conceptually believe that I can take one step from brokenness into being whole. That someone could take one step from being lame into into one, one, one step of faith into being able to walk and run. For somebody who was blind to take one step in one single moment by faith and see again. Someone covered in leprosy in one moment to receive that which God has for them, that transforming moment, and be perfectly clean and return home. There's no reason not to take that step from some lie that Satan has told you about you into the fullness of what God says because He knows you and He wants to reveal who you are to you. There's no reason to wait another moment. This can be your day of liberation.
Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.